Support for Short Stops is presented by the Kalem Trading Institute. Check out our website at www.kaleminstitute.com. On today's episode. In 2011, the European Central Bank made out of nothing 171 billion euros out of nothing. 185 billion in 2012. 145 billion euros in 2013. Do you know where all that money went? To the bankers. Directly from the mint. Straight to the rich. Did anyone say that? The European Central Bank was a thief. Liquidity injections, they called it. And they pulled it out of nowhere again. Out of nothing. What's this? It's nothing again. This is paper. It's paper. See this? It's paper. Over 50 technical stock indicators. A little less than 300 companies listed in the Philippine Stock Exchange. Multiple ways to risk your money trading, while hundreds of emotions are passing through you as you watch prices move in the market. But we're not focusing on all of them. We're just here to talk about the ones that matter. You asked for it, so we're going to give it to you. This is Short Stops Season 2. Let's go. Okay. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Short Stops. We're halfway through 2020, and if you've thought you've seen it all from environmental disasters, wars, the COVID pandemic, don't worry because 2020 isn't even over yet. But behind all these negative headlines, the stock market has been chugging along, and the NASDAQ actually has been hitting its previous highs. And the PSCI has actually rallied over 50% from its low of 4,000. So today's topic is all about understanding basically this difference behind Main Street, the economy, and Wall Street. And so with us is our head macro analyst, Mr. Jason Mariposa. Hi. Hello, guys. Uh, so yeah, so I think there's been a lot of talk in the news, especially about what's happening in Wall Street versus Main Street, right? So the stock market's heading to new highs, but, you know, if you go to the ground, it doesn't make any sense. So... So we're shooting this episode today to clear some, some things up. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I mean, if you think about economics, right? People think it's all about money. But in reality, economics is all about human behavior and people. Right? So if you ask the business community on what's happening, you'd most likely have a negative answer. But the stock market, from especially from when you're watching it every day, it's like, we know that. I understand your pain. But we will get through it and... We will. So maybe you can share an overview to our listeners about why these things happen in the first place. Okay. Uh, so this is a, a, a magazine cover of The Economist. I think this is how most people see it, right? That there's a huge gap between Wall Street that's hitting new highs and uh, Main Street, right? Where you see so many people unemployed and all of that. Okay. But I think that if you look at the market, stock market long enough, you're going to figure out that the stock market, it's not equal to the economy. I mean, it's a different animal. 
And I think especially with what's happening today, right? It's a, uh, it's a COVID world. So I think that a lot of things are changing. So I think if you're talking about the U.S. market, so the first, the first thing that makes Wall Street very different from Main Street is uh, this guy. So I'm pretty sure you guys know, I hope you guys know who this guy is. So he's basically the most powerful person in the world right now. I mean, in terms of moving the stock market. Uh, if you haven't, guys haven't been following the past few months, the Fed has injected trillions of liquidity into the market. Okay, so if you look at the Fed's balance sheet over the past few months, it has gone from 3.7 trillion to 7 trillion in just a few months. So this is a crazy amount of money printing. Okay, and guess where that money is going? Okay, it's not going to the, it's not going to Main Street, it's not going to you and me, it's going to the stock market. So if you look at this chart from Charles Schwab, so it shows that money supply, you're near, has basically gone vertical. Okay, but it's not going to the real economy, because if you look at money velocity, money velocity at the equal number as economy, nothing's happening. Okay. So that means that the money that the Fed created is not really going to the main economy, to, to Main Street. It's going to Wall Street. Okay. So uh, if you look at this next chart, right, the past 50 days, we've seen the, the biggest 50-day rally in the U.S. market in history. Okay. And that's after the Fed printed a few trillion dollars in money. So I think this basic fact, you're going to see why there's a huge difference between uh, Wall Street and Main Street. Okay? And actually, if you contrast the U.S. market and the Philippine market, that's one huge variable that the Philippines doesn't have. The Philippines doesn't have. We don't have money printing. You talked about the difference behind Philippines and outside, and you talked about the U.S. can print unlimited as opposed to the Philippines. Is this a big um, obstacle towards how the Philippines will get out of this COVID pandemic? Uh, definitely. It's like if you watch the Ray Dalio, uh, how the economic machine works. The economy is basically all about liquidity. It's all about the credit cycle. It's all about the flow of money, right? So if you have more money flowing to the economy, uh, things are going to get better. Right? So if you have less money flowing into the economy, then it's going to be a much, much, um, the downturn can be much deeper. And, and if you read the headlines, for example, of the Philippines in terms of the DOF and they're talking about liquidity, um, their stance has been trying to limit the amount of borrowings, try to limit the amount of spending, and try to limit the amount of stimulus that they will provide. And if you look through history, you cannot blame them given the economics of the uh, history of the Philippine economics. But all these things are actually counterpoint, counter argument against to what the Fed is doing. So is this a major concern? I mean, um, how, how, how will some of these corporates, how will some of these small medium enterprises try to pull their way and their weight during these times? So if you look at what happened, what's happening to the Philippines, I think that the BSP, on the BSP side, they've done a good job of 
doing their part in helping stimulate the economy. But there's only so much they can do, right? So what's happening right now is that the BS, the DOF does not want to approve the 1.3 trillion stimulus to the economy. Actually, what's, what they want to approve is only 140 billion pesos. So that's 90% less than what was initially planned. Okay, so I think the reason for this is that uh, they want to keep the credit rating of the Philippines. Right, so they want the... the Sorry, yeah, but these are like unprecedented times. And I mean, I've been trying to keep on pushing people that the 1.3 trillion is just 12%, if I'm not mistaken, of Philippine GDP, right? It's such a small portion that all other countries, if you look at it, are actually trying to push for more liquidity. I mean, we've seen Indonesia, India have already announced. And I don't know if you have slides, but uh, Philippines. Yeah, so maybe you could share your point on this one. Okay, so, so I think what the DOF is doing by not wanting to spend so much money is just basically they don't want to derail the, the balance sheet of the Philippines, the credit rating. But as Edmund said, I think that we're in really unprecedented, unprecedented times, right? That if we don't take care of the long, the short term, how are we going to get to the long term picture, right? So I think that we're... There's a lot of damage being done to the economy. And so if you look at this chart on the right, everybody's spending a lot of money. Okay. So this is net, net new spending, net fiscal stimulus, right? Because I think what's happening to the Philippines is just mostly rebalancing the budget, right? So instead of uh, this amount of money going to the PPP, you're, you're transferring that to the COVID uh, initiative. But if you look at the the overall spending is actually not increasing that much, right? So I think that uh, our net fiscal stimulus, I think, is less than one percent of GDP, right? So what's uh, what's going to happen is that okay, you have the private sector cutting spending; it's, it's survival mode. You have consumers cutting spending, then you have the government also who doesn't want to spend, right? So what's going to happen to us, right? So I think this is all about uh, Keynesian economics that, okay, whenever there's a downturn, the government has to do some counter-cyclical spending to support the economy. And right now, we don't have that. So we talked about the challenges in the Philippines and U.S. ultimately has that flexibility. What's your thoughts on the outperformance, especially of tech companies and the work-from-home stocks? Uh, okay, I think... We always want to assume that the market is efficient, right? Of course, I'm pretty sure there are some pockets of inefficiency, but on a broad basis, the market's very smart. Okay? So if you look at this uh, year-to-date return of different major markets, you're going to see that China and U.S. is one of the, the strongest, right? So, yes, Karina, we thought that, we said that maybe this is all about the Fed, right? But... You're, you're going to be surprised how smart the market is, okay? So if you look at what's happening here, uh, the U.S. market's really uh, one of the most defensive against the, what's happening against the COVID-19, okay? So if you look at the sensitivity of the U.S. market, U.S. economy to trade, it's just 20%, right? To tourism, it's 7.9%. 
Okay, so it's actually the, the one of the least sensitive major markets to what's happening today. Uh, the next here, so if you look at uh, bottom up in terms of uh, sectoral exposure of the market to COVID-19. So if you look at the US actually, 62% of the US market today is defensive from COVID-19, right? So what's that? The defensives are your IT, your healthcare, communications, consumer staples, utilities, and of course the big tech stocks like Amazon. Okay, so these companies are, a lot of these are not really defensive, but you're benefiting from what's happening today. So here, so if you look at this, the US, the market's that's really smarter than you think, right? So what's happening is that all your defensive, especially the work from home, tech stocks are going up, right? And all your cyclicals, like airlines, cruise lines, uh, industrials, are really not going up. I mean, they're down there, okay? So this is really a big reason why the U.S. is one of the strongest. Yeah, if you take a look at your charts, for example, and you look at all the defensives, in the Philippines, one of the challenges on our end is that what's a defensive company in the Philippines and what company is actually not affected, what industry, right? And we always push for the telco industry because the telco has actually been one of the more defensive in nature because uh, even though work from home is the, most of the options for a lot of BPO, uh, for a lot of offices, you take a look at higher internet usage, you take a look at higher mobile data usage, and as opposed to the traditional industries, most of the property, the banks, even some consumers like restaurants will be severely affected during these pandemic. So just to add to what Jason was pointing out a while ago, this is a common commonality behind work from home and defensives, and as opposed to more cyclical nature in the in this crisis. But the beauty about it is that the perception of the real economy is so much different. And with more people stuck at homes, more people opening stock trading accounts, um, you have your Robinhood, and you also have your Philippine retail traders. I mean, you see a surge in amount of speculation that's happening today. And what's your thoughts on that? I mean, today, I mean, it's perfect timing for a stock like Merrimark, who just listed a few days ago. I mean, in a period where you have so much um, liquidity coming from the retail side. Uh, I think that's something unique happening today, right? So people are stuck at home. You don't have anything to do. Right, so you want to be a trader so you can make some money while at home, right? Here, so actually, if you've been following the US, right, you have zero commissions, you can buy fractional shares. Like, for example, if Amazon stock is too expensive, you can buy a 0.5 a share. So, there's no sports gambling, lockdown at home, right? So, people are, you know, they don't have anything better to do but speculate in the market, okay? And I think that. Another thing that's really juicing this up is that uh, you have the Fed is basically uh, the Fed has really created a win-win situation in the stock market. Okay, what do I mean? It means that okay, if something happens to the economy, I'm gonna inject a lot of money. Okay, and if nothing happens to the economy, 
then the stock market is still going to go up, right? So I think there's a perception in the U.S. that, okay, stocks only go up, right? <laughs> That's the perception of retail investors. And I think it's definitely a sign that we're at the, we're closer to the top than to the bottom of the market. But of course, I wouldn't say that, okay, it's time to short the market. Okay, because uh, as we all know, overbought can stay overbought for a long period of time. You look at the you look at the the amount of liquidity and the amount of people pouring money into some of these small cap issues. The assumption is that you have a floor, you have a level of support because you know that every time the stock market drops, the Fed will come in and start printing. So as new traders or as new investors, as they start coming into the market, they've never seen a significant drop or a significant correction before, right? So just to provide a level of support for some of these new traders and new investors, what would you recommend for them to watch, meaning in terms of risk on or risk off for the stock market? So I think that if you, this, if you go to the very foundation of the market, right, it's not really about making forecasts or knowing what's going to happen next. That helps, of course. I mean, in terms of uh, scenario analysis, what could happen, Right? But if you distill the very foundation of the market, it's all about greed and fear. So I have, I have here, this is the foreign net foreign outflows and inflows for the past 10 years. So as you can see here, uh, there's very clear uh, risk on flows coming in, risk off flows coming out. Right? So I think it's a very clear pattern over the past few years. Okay. Uh, and... If you were just trading the Philippines, of course, and you weren't looking at what's happening globally, you would never understand what's, what's driving this, this risk on and risk of flows. Okay. So what we look at is uh, there's two sides to this. So one is top down. Okay. So top down. So what's that? It's just looking at the markets from a cross asset perspective. There's two kinds of assets around the world. So one, there's risky assets. That's of course stocks, right? And emerging markets of, are of course, from the perspective of a big investor abroad is one of the riskiest assets there is. Okay, and then you have the safe haven assets. What are that? What's that? Those are your bonds, US, US treasury bonds, right? And then you have gold, okay? So by just analyzing where the flow is going, you can get a vibe the vibe of the market okay so like for example okay, there's a lot of lines in here okay so if you look at what what's what's happening in 2020 so okay so this white line is the stock market it's the u.s market so if you'll notice here before the market even dropped the safe haven assets were actually going up already okay and as I said, if you weren't looking at, at it from a very big picture, you would never notice this. So that's why we always want to look at it from a top-down perspective first, right? So as you can see here, when the market was getting overbought, the safe haven assets were already going up. So for us, that's a clear, what they call that, a divergence that's happening. Okay, and lo and behold, COVID hit in March. Right, and the safe haven assets uh, exploded. 
Okay? And, okay, two months later, stocks are going up. Look at what's happening to the safe haven assets. They're already going sideways. Okay? And that's when we had that uh, huge powerful rally in the stock market. Okay? Uh, Okay, so let's go back to uh, 2019. So this white is the stock market again. So if you look at this, when the stock market was stopping, look at what the, the safe haven assets were again uh, going up. Okay, so if you notice this from top down, automatically at least that would guide your training, right? That, okay, maybe you have to lighten up or things like that. Okay. And I think this, this pattern is very clear if you go back uh, 10 or 20 years. Okay? But of course, the, the exact correlation changes. Like for example, because today we're having a slowdown, right? So if the stock market is going down, people go to the, the bonds or gold. Like, but for example, if you go back to 2018, actually the big picture was a different situation, right? So if you guys recall what was happening in 2018 was that the Fed was raising interest rates a lot. Okay, people were very confident of the economy. Okay, so actually here, the stock market and the bond market can go down at the same time. So I guess as traders, just to summarize, what's important is that you have risky assets and you have um, less risky assets such as your bonds and gold. Um, and as traders, you want to be monitoring, uh, monitoring both the 10-year, for example, for US and for the gold prices so that at least you'll be able to gauge what the market is trying to um, price in in terms of sentiment in the short term. Right? So at least you know, I mean, the thing is, as traders, you only think that there's only stock equities to monitor. Actually, there's a lot more other risky assets. And what you're seeing today is that your defensives, for example, your treasuries are still telling you that there's still risk off. Your gold is still telling you that there's risk off. Even though the stock market can still rally, I think the point is you just want to be a little bit more cautious when it comes to your trading. So when you're, risk, when you're risking a larger percentage of your capital, for example, a 1% VAR or 1% risk per trade, right? you might want to think about cutting it down to a smaller size, like maybe half, especially when you're trading in volatile and uncertainty environments. Okay. So I think just be extra cautious. I mean, it's not, we're not saying that just because your risk off assets are outperforming, it doesn't mean your stock market won't go up. Uh, won't go, yeah, it won't go up, right? We're just advising these are things that you want to be monitoring, monitoring from a top-down approach so that it becomes easier for you to get in and get out of your trades, especially when things go wrong. Jason, anything, anything else to add? Uh, yeah, so I guess going forward, so if the, like for example, the, if you see the risk, the safe haven assets start to go up, right? And then the market's overbought. I mean, if you look at the US market, it's 40% higher than March, right? So then maybe, as Edwin is saying, then we should cut down on exposure and prepare for uh, another possible risk of environment. Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, 
price is always king and you can also use technical analysis and understand price action even in different asset classes not just in the stock market um, the philippines hopefully we might see a recovery soon um, we don't have that level of financial flexibility as the other countries as jason already pointed out uh, but luckily we're more resilient as compared to the other countries and we have a less exposure, especially towards uh, more export-oriented countries as we are more domestic consumption-oriented, especially with our OFW and our BPO. And so hopefully things recover. I mean, we're seeing positive signs, especially with the Merriam Mart IPO. I mean, we haven't had a good IPO in a while, and we think that this will probably be good for short-term sentiment for the overall market, okay? So I wish you guys all the best and hopefully you're able to learn something new. So try to incorporate this level of thinking, especially when it comes to trading. Don't think the stock market just goes up and goes only in one direction. They can also go down and go down consistently. Okay, so best of luck guys.